63. I'll begin reading verse 63, but our text preached will be 69 through 75. Here now, the word of our Lord. I'll begin in 62. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? We have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, prophecy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl uh, came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And he went, and went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Thus far reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. All flesh is its grass and its beauties as the flower of the field. Grass withers and its flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that was just read to you by God's help will be preached. Please be seated. As Christians, we need to learn how to look beyond mere appearances, the outward form of a thing. If we rest at that, we miss more than half of what we're looking at. I remember one time uh, <clears throat> my wife and I were getting ready to leave for a vacation in Europe, three weeks, and uh, everything was ready. But uh, three days before we were to leave, there was a very unusual weather phenomena in central Kentucky. It was not a tornado. Tornadoes have uh, the cyclones have these spinning actions, you know, with a rotation. The kind of wind that the meteorologist described was more of a, a constant shear force. And that came from the north, and uh, it was violent. I think it was up to 60 miles an hour. It didn't last long, but it was, it was quite a good force. Now, we thought we were fine because it was an unusual wind, but... We've never had any, any real damage to our property. And we certainly didn't expect our neighbor's huge oak tree 
I, I, the diameter, what, it, it, was mass, it was massive. And it always leaf out, and, and it looked great. It had been checked less than two months previous, previously by uh, an, ar uh, an arborist. And um, they, were, they looked fine. And that tree came down from the roots. It, it just broke off at the base, and it landed on our garage, and it nicked the corner of our house. And it, it, we, just had, we just had a splinter. We just had a set of toothpicks for our garage anymore. It just it, it devastated the garage, which was fine because Susie and I were thinking about having a garage sale anyway. And that was one clean swipe. You know, we just wrote it off for our insurance, and that was that. We didn't think that tree was going to fall. We thought that was the strongest tree. It was an oak tree, and it wasn't one of those water maples that are scrappy little things, and the branches are always, the twigs are, they're, they're, they're very dirty trees. They're not strong, but this was an oak, and it fell, and it fell all at once. And the reason we discovered later, upon closer investigation, was that the very heart of the thing was diseased. We couldn't see it. But uh, it was in trouble all along. And, of course, the arborist said, oh, I'm very sorry, I, I, I missed this. I don't know how I could have, but I did. Well, and that's why the tree came down. A neighbor's decaying oak tree looked great, looked solid, until the trial came. And the trial revealed the truth. We need to be very careful, my friends, when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. We say that very quickly. We say that glibly. It's a fierce thing to come under the sifting of God's winnowing fork. When he tries our faith, and especially when we are not watchful, and when we have not been diligent, and when we have been careless, and we are caught flat-footed, and we may not be able to take off on that vacation to Europe. We, we went anyway. We said, we'll clean up this mess. But sometimes the recovery is not that easy. The teaching here this morning is this, that even a true disciple of Jesus may deny him publicly. And such denial is a great sin, but it's brought about by degrees. A great sin is not just, it doesn't just happen, it's brought about through process over time. There's reasons for it by degrees and is uh, accompanied then. The fruit of it is a great, great sorrow. Great sorrow. We'll see three points. First of all, we see that a disciple that denies Jesus commits a grave sin. Peter's denial of Jesus is given for us here for a reason. It, it, it's given us here to see the, the terrible thing, this, the, the evil of it, the wickedness, the wicked nature of, of sin and how it can surprise us and how it can shock us to think one as Peter could fall in this manner. Now, of course, Peter stumbled. He didn't utterly fall away, but this is what we would call a partial apostasy. That is to say, a leaning away from Christ, a leaning away from the truth, a leaning away 
from the walk, the humble walk, the faithful walk, the courageous walk. Peter stumbled. We know the story. We've read the story many times, but he didn't utterly fall away. But Peter certainly wounded himself very badly in this fall. And he sinned very grievously against the Lord, his friend, the Lord Jesus. It's given to us that we might abominate this sin. It's, gi it's given us that we might hate, hate, hate denial and, and, and be suspicious of any weakening of our walk with God and be very, very attentive to any signs of apostasy. Peter's sin is aggravated by several considerations. First of all, let's, let's consider this. It's not just the sin. It's, it, it, those it's those things that were attendant in that sin that cause it to be sev more severe than usual. Peter had known Jesus intimately for three years. And Peter had received nothing but good from his master and Lord, his disciple. He had received all manner of comfort, all manner of patience, the, the promises of forgiveness of sins, the insight into the kingdom of God and splendor, a holy calling, a holy vocation, the privilege of serving as an apostle and already seeing the fruit of it in the preaching, the preaching of the word. All of these things are tremendous, tremendous privileges. Furthermore, I, I, even as Protestants, we would, be, we, would, we would certainly admit that Peter was a leader. He was certainly a, a leader of the Twelve, if not the leader, often. And he spoke first in many, many ways, and he spoke for the rest in many, many ways. So he's not just a regular disciple. He's in the inner three. Uh, Peter, Paul, and James, and John were the were the closest friends of our Lord. His sin of, of uh, denying Jesus is aggravated also by him repeating it three times. And the, and the Holy Spirit has it documented for us in that reason. When the, when, when the Holy Spirit repeats things in scriptures, it's there for a reason. Learn not to read your Bible in that way. Hey, I haven't, hasn't this been said before? Yes, it has been. And why is this repeated three times? For emphasis. He repeated his denial three times despite being previously warned by Jesus that it would be so. Jesus said that he would deny him. And that's a warning. When we see a warning in Scripture, let's pause and, you know, the Lord is saying, we're not what we think we are. We're, we're, not, we're not that stout tree. We, we look great. Our bark is healthy, but our heart is weak and sick despite being warned by Jesus, despite celebrating the bread and wine of the new covenant. Jesus said, this is my body is broken for you. I love you. I, I'm going to suffer corporally. Uh, this is my blood. I'm going to drain this body of every living drop that sustains it. And this blood is for you to cover your sins, and it is effectively the sealing of the new covenant, which we celebrate and remember today in the Lord's Supper. Now, whether or not that was an ordinance 
It surely was a gift by Christ to Peter. Uh, and uh, again, saying that I will not celebrate this with you again until I celebrate it in the kingdom of my father. Despite celebrating the bread and wine and then despite vocally resolving to follow Jesus. It's one thing to determine in your heart, yes, I'm going to follow. It's another thing to resolve these things before the Lord <laughs> and before his church, the disciples there. But he did so resolve it. You know, when we take membership vows, it's a form of resolving. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to, we're going to imitate him and his, and his graces, and we're going to use his gifts to the best of our ability. God help us. We're going to submit to the church. We're going to study its purity and its peace. Uh, yes, we're going to support the worship and, its, and the work of the church to the best of our ability. We, we resolve these things. Peter resolved that he would never deny. No, no, no. But he did. Peter then, unfortunately, as stout a man as he was, a fisherman, a rough-cut guy, he didn't fear a man. He didn't fear men, but he, he feared two comparatively powerless servant girls. These were servants, young ladies, they were, Peter was no, under no threat of violence. They weren't, they weren't carrying swords or daggers. They were carrying water and food or, or, or sticks for the fire. Uh, they uh, were not uh, threatening process of prosecution against Peter. They, they probably had little uh, privileges uh, before the civil authorities in Rome. They were slaves, probably. Okay, servant girls. No, no judicial process was being threatened here that Peter should quake. Um, and so he, he feared and he refused to be identified. Not, 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 that, not that he agreed with Jesus' cause, but he even refused to be identified. <laughs> that he was with Jesus. You were also with Jesus the Galilean. No, he denies that. He denies that. And he denied it not before just the servant girls, but later before many. This is what we say is aggravated sin. This is what we do when we find ourselves not despising our sins enough. Oh, we're very clever, aren't we? We know the gospel. And we know that God forgives us. And we know that God is faithful and just. And he forgives us our sins. And we, we delight in that. But we fail, my friends, to really relish his goodness because we do not abominate our sin. The more bitter we know the wickedness of our hearts, the, the, the greater shame we cast upon ourselves for being disloyal to the only loyal friend and the only honest and righteous man, Jesus, until we hate hate sin, we will not truly relish grace. But any old sin that has sinned against us, oh, we flare up and we have got to. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to speak to that person anymore or that elder anymore. And you write off so many people because they just, yeah, they didn't meet your expectations. 
But you must learn how to aggravate your sins, not hide them. God is in the business of hiding your sins. You Christians are in the business of opening up your sores and presenting your sins and then resting in the promises of Christ to relieve you, not only of its guilt, but of its corruption, not only of its corruption, but of its power. You want to break with sin because sin breaks with God. That is to say, if you're a Christian, not a final apostasy, but in the enjoyment of God, your peace, your comfort, your happiness, your happiness. Your goal then is to hate sin more. That's just why the Holy Spirit shows us that sin doesn't just happen by fiat. Sin is a syndrome and it grows as a disease little by little. People don't just cause a schism in the church and walk away. People begin to hate people in their hearts. They begin to shun people by not saying hello to visitors. Or they have a little uh, parties, uh, schisms in the church, little cliques. And by and by, the communion of the saints is lost or, or, or compromised. And that's schism, but they don't acknowledge it, you see. And they, well, they're just, they, they begin to make excuses for it. But that sin festers and grows. And so does the, hard, the hardening of your heart until you begin to aggravate your sin and, the, and, begin, and begin to understand why God does not want you to be acting in this way. It is a denial of various truths of the church. You must hate sin more and more as something that is grievously loathsome considering your Lord's kindness, considering the Lord's faithfulness, considering his friendship to you. Learn shame. Learn, millennial. Blushing. Blushing is not a it's not a powder that women put on their face. Blushing is what happens. When your central nervous system, your autonomic nervous system understands the danger of your soul, the shame of your soul, and you turn pink, and you haven't done that in a while, if you're your typical American, because we're addicted to so many things that will rush us on and keep us from sitting before the Lord and honestly asking him to search our hearts to see if there's any wickedness in our hearts and to lead us in the righteous way. Learn to blush. Learn to blush in private before others bring shame to you in public and you learn it the hard way. But blushing you will. A blushing you will go, if not in this life, and in the next, you need to abominate sin. You need to catch it by degrees. You need to be turning from it daily. Repentance unto life is the expression. And new obedience is the fruit that you will sweetly enjoy. And peace with it when you have done, when you have finally broken through that besetting sin and are walking humbly with your God again. In order to do that, you need to bring your sin to the light of God's Word. This passage will help you. Look what happens to Peter. By and by, he's not catching himself. By and by, he's not, he's, maybe he's tired. Maybe now he's still very, very sleepy. He didn't catch but a, a few weeks, you know, in the garden there. But you have to shake it off. 
This is warfare. It's very serious. So know the Word of God, or study it at open and read the Ten Commandments. Judge yourself according to that's holy, holy standards, and learn to frequently, frequently meet with your God to arrest the ongoing corruption, lest it go on and it become systemic, and this cancer will take your soul. I know, I know that whom God has justified, you are justified eternally. But I also know that a Christian who is justified will persevere in holiness until the end. The two must be taught. You can't rest in one because you like the one better than the other. Without holiness and peace for, before all men, no man will see the Lord. And the Lord whom he justifies, he certainly does glorify. I'm not talking about both ends of my mouth. That is the word of God. That's what God says. A disciple that denies Jesus commits a great sin, a great sin. You may not know it by degrees. The Lord, if you're his child, he will have mercy on you. He will bring your attention to it so that you do abominate it and learn its shame. Second point, great sins build upon previous sins. I've been saying as much. The Lord would teach us how sinning increases through sinning. That's the practice of sin. Guitar playing increases by playing guitar. Everything increases by doing it. If you want a bountiful crop, you sow bountifully. Sin increases by sinning. The progress of Peter's sin here, of denial, is recorded then for our benefit today. Let's see how this, uh, this accrues step by step. First of all, pride becomes a fall. So always check for pride first. Pride is what got the uh, angel Lucifer out of heaven. Pride is, is a, a, a complete deception that the creature, a, a fallen creature, convinces himself of. Self-confidence, that's, that's Peter's first sin. He said it in his own words. Others may offend, Lord. You know, you know me. You, you, you know I'm, I love you. You know I love you. And I'm, I'm resolute. You know how strong-willed I can be. And others may offend, but not me. Others may. Oh. Self-confidence. Oh, I know I'm a Christian. Well, my friends, examine yourself if you're in the Lord. But why are you saying that to me? Are you Arminian? Do you really think that I can say I lose my salvation? No, what I'm saying is if you're a Christian, you'll examine yourself. Because Christians are, are those that obey the Lord in all things. You simply cannot disobey your God. If he's calling you to a life of, of self-examination, a careful walk, and a measured confession of your sins, and a restoration, then you'll do that. And if not, well, then you have your own answer. Self-confidence, pride, flesh. Flesh avails nothing. It's not by the will of man. It's not him who, to him who runs or to him who, no, or wills. It's God. God must build you, and God must build his church. The progress of sin for Peter, self-confidence, then carelessness at prayer. Jesus said, watch and pray. We covered that in a sermon. Just rehearse that sermon. You'll see what went wrong. A critical junction. Jesus gives him an admonition. 
Well, I don't have admonitions today. No, no, Jesus is admonishing you through his word. Jesus is admonishing you through other brothers and sisters who have concern and speak to you about your sin. Jesus is admonishing you in your Sunday school teachers and in your parents. Jesus is admonishing you through his ministers that preach the word of God to you. But the problem is you don't, you don't think that's Jesus talking to you. Or you don't understand the, critical, the criticality of the, 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 uh, the garden there in Gethsemane. You don't understand. You're asleep. You must watch and pray. And after you pray, you are to watch. The progress went from self-confidence to carelessness of prayer to compromise. After Jesus is arrested, Peter seeks the company of sinners. He follows Jesus at a distance. He follows Jesus at a distance with his enemies. He's beginning to say, oh, maybe I can be a chameleon here after all. I'll just blend in. I'll blend in. It's not that easy. It's not that easy to blend into the world when you are marked by baptism. God has a mark on you. He will distinguish his name, whether you want it to be distinguished or not. He will glorify your name. You will not blaspheme his name without great duress. Progress of Peter's sin goes from self-confidence to carelessness, compromise, then he joined the evil company there, sitting by the fire, entering the palace, sitting with the servants. He doesn't belong there. That's not the company that, that's not the, company that the holy apostles should be keeping uh, in the wee hours of that night, stealing in there like that. But the problem here also is in, in all of this, he doesn't recognize temptation. He's weakened. He's weakened and he doesn't, recognize temptation when it comes to him. And it comes to him in a very mild form, just like the serpent came to Eve in a most convincing costume. Uh, the, serpent, the serpent got decked out, as I understand. A very lovely, beautiful creature, very wise. Peter was asleep. How often, my friends, just let's, let's take inventory. How often do you really recognize temptation as temptation and thwart it? Most of the time we're asleep and we fall into the sin. And don't we have, a, have we not already established that sin is the, the, the evil of evils, the thing most to be deprecated because it's against God who is most lovely. And yet we're not watchful. And the temptation comes and the devil's in our own flesh in the world, and we just... But we pray, lead us not into temptation, don't we? Let's pray in earnest and not in vain. And then he accompanies this. He falls to temptation, and he falls to cursing and swearing and denying his master. This is the apostle. <laughs> okay? Now, if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to anyone. Because a heart laden with sin is in danger of further sin. And a heart laden with this kind of sin, with so many privileges, with so many benefits, with so many warnings, after a protracted time, is in danger of seeing a great sin. And schism, church schism, is a great sin. And so we must confess 
sin. We must repent. There, there is no forgiveness upon a mere admitting sin. Saul, King Saul, admitted sin, but he was not restored. Many people admit sin. Judas, in a sense, changed his mind, saying, oh, this man is innocent, and yet he did not repent because he did not, he did not follow the Spirit into renewed righteousness, renewed obedience, the hope of deliverance. Confess, repent, or sin may sprout, and not only sprout, it may spring, and may, may not only sprout and spring, but it might bite. And that's the venom of hell. And many of us here don't think that that has anything to do with you because you are sailing way over hell and you are not subject to great falls into sin. And that's your first deception. You have to overcome that. Because this is written for our admonition and our warning. Lest we also shame our Lord, blaspheme his name, and do much damage, much harm to our soul. God allows you then this fall. And most of the time he allows it in private, as he has been showing Peter. All of these things are private until, boom, he curses, he denies the Lord in, in public. It's by degrees until you fall. And so, my friends, we are to have a, a healthy, biblical fear of God. And we are to be aware of the smallest weakening of your love of God. The smallest compromise in your service to God. Your, your waning prayer life. Attendance at church and his ordinances. And you are to make amends quickly. You, if you have... Uh, one of those bells that the firemen clang, you know, when there's a, there's a fire, the old fire, firehouses. Clang, 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 clang. All, you know, the firemen wake up, they're down the ladder, they're in their jumpsuits, they're out the door. You need to sound an alarm. You need to alarm yourself and you need to wake up. Every once in a while you hear in the paper, oh, I, I had no idea, this teenager, this teenager that shot eight kids, you know, you hear more and more frequently, Oh, we didn't know. He's such a good kid. Oh, yeah, he was kind of a loner. He was kind of quiet. A little bit sheepish, even. But no, 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 he was so mild. And, oh, but look at this. There's blood all over. Why? Nice kid goes rogue? I, I don't see that. It's possible. I, I, I'm not a medical expert. I'm not a psychiatrist here. But what the Bible tells me was this. Sin grows by degrees, from, from private to public. There must have been a lot of hatred in that heart before it sprouted and sprung and deliberated to kill. Probably not, uh, somebody was not watching him to deduce, well, he was basically harmless and he turned into something quite violent. And that's why elders oversee the flock carefully. If they see people are not in communion, if people, are not, if people are not living up to their vows, then it is, it is, no, it is not temperance, it is, it is not prudent, it is not forbearing 
to let them go on. You address their sins, and when they become public, guess where we're gonna guess where we're gonna have to speak of them? And it becomes uncomfortable to upset the church, condemning sin in particular, or pointing out sins in the congregation, but it must be done. And the flock has to forbear with a degree of discomfort until others repent. We're all one body. That's the nature of the public ministry. You need to address in your own heart. And, and you supervisors of the church need to address building or mounting grumbling, complaining, lack of congeniality, lack of hospitality. You need to address those things as, as things that are murderously, murderously dangerous to the soul of the believer, to the heart of the church. Last point of the sermon. Great sins bring great sorrow. They bring great remorse, and they bring pain of conscience, especially in mature believers. Peter had not received the fullness of the Spirit, but he was a mature man. He had great discernment. And true believers, when they sin, and when they sin greatly, they take it very badly. They do not excuse themselves. They, 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 true believers will... Yes, they, they will rise again because the Lord will lift them up. All right? True believer knows that the Lord has given, granted them not, only, not merely the remittance of their sins. He covers their sins in the blood of Christ. Yes, that's the gospel. That's done. But he also grants them the sin, uh, excuse me, the grace of repentance. Confession, repentance, hatred. Hatred of their sin. They, they will aggravate their sins as the Holy Spirit is teaching us in this passage until, until their heart's affections are warm to God and cool to hell. And then in their zeal, they will avenge God's name with new obedience. And in their zeal, they will, they will rise to protect their own names from people who have seen them in public being such very poor witnesses to the love of God to the least of sinners. They will rise up with zeal, I tell you. And until they do, no man, no woman should count themselves forgiven, much less restored. Because the Holy Spirit is a zealous spirit. The spirit that God has placed in us is one unto a holy jealousy. And we, in communion with that Spirit, are jealous for God's sake. It is a communion and jealousy. And if we don't have that zeal, then, my friends, we do not have the Spirit. And if we have no Spirit, then we are not Christian. We are Pharisees. Hypocrites then mince their sin. They excuse them. Oh, they know a lot of psychology. They know a lot of physiology. They know a lot of medicine. They know... They don't know their Bibles, or if they know their Bibles, then they know what's convenient for them to believe. They love all the benefits, not the duties. They're convinced that God will forgive them of everything, even though they haven't shown any evidence that they merit anything that God promises because there is no repentance. They never fret over sin. That's all taken care of. I'm saved. And so they're never pardoned. That's a hypocrite. 
Hypocrites don't fret. Hypocrites don't fret. They clench their teeth. They form fists. They, they strike the Lord's anointed. They spit on it. But they don't repent. Distancing yourself from Christ brings evil to the soul. That's what we see here with, with Peter. You want to love life? You want to have good days? You want to have peace? Walk humbly with your God. Don't trail way behind with the enemies of God. Seek better company. No lasting happiness, my friends, without holiness. The happiness of a pig wallowing in the mud is not the happiness, the fleeting happiness of a Christian. It's, a, it's the fleeting happiness of a worldling. Assurance of salvation. Many people say, uh, all they know of assurance is this. It's a doctrine. Oh, yeah, we believe it. I believe, and so the Bible says I'm saved, and so therefore I'm saved. That's the syllogism. God saves all who believe. I believe, therefore I, I'm saved, and that's all the assurance I need. But they forget that assurance also has to be met with the fruit of the Spirit, the walk. And especially as we find communion and closeness with God, and those subjective things that are of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. All this is compromised by sin. It is impossible to have an, a, a true, a, an abiding, a comfortable assurance of faith while practicing sin. The two, that's not, what the, that's not the Holy Spirit's attestation. And once you lose this, and we do lose it, we don't always, we don't always have the same degree of assurance. And some of us may, even in fact, struggle with assurance. Some of us still don't have assurance, and we don't know what the pastor's talking about. But if you lose your assurance of salvation, it's difficult to restore sometimes. Think and read about the, the Song of Solomon, how the Shulamite woman is calling out to her lover. Where's her lover? Where's, where is he? Well, my lover's gone this. And my, well, when is he going to get back? And then suddenly he comes, and, the, uh, and she finds the comfort in his arms. Uh, that's pretty much what the soul feels like with the comfort of the Lord, her master, and the love and the loving arms of Christ. Anyway, recovery from this kind of great sin is never easy, nor is it automatic. You are not passive in the Christian life. Sanctification is an arduous process taking diligence in all that is required of you in seeking the Lord in prayer and attendance upon the Lord's uh, ordinances. And furthermore, you might do all of this and not gain back his sweet favor, at least the subjective form of it. You may be like those who say, ah, the subjective Christianity goes out the window and start your own movement. Now, there's all kinds of so-called Christian reform movements that despise subjectivity and it has nothing to do with what I'm saying here in this sermon because they have no understanding, no, no real experience in this. And you wonder if such men are even Christian. God must grant you repentance. Nothing you can do in this ordinance of by swallowing the bread and the wine is, is, is going to do things automatically for you. You must believe and you must come to the Lord 
as one who is truly, sincerely seeking his company, loving him to do his will. And then, but that also is a gift of his. He may, he may leave you to wallow in the mud like he did the prodigal son until he, said, until he remembers all these cornhouse there for the birds, man. The servants in my father's house are better. I, I'm coming to my senses. I'm going back. Until you come to your senses and repent, the Lord will leave you in your husks. And so you must ask for it. You must beg for it. And this takes prayer. And you must be, you must, it takes faith and believing the promises of restoration in Christ. My friends, time itself, if you are wounded yourself through sin, a great sin, time of itself does not heal. If time of itself were to heal, then hell would be a great hospital for the soul. But it's not. Hell is a torment for people who never repented in time because time of itself does not heal. But it, time, as a good bank will, compounds. Time compounds misery. So heal quickly by repenting quickly. And always remember that the, the love of Christ, his, his sweet treatment of you, his faithfulness to you, his goodness to you, how he's cared for you as your good shepherd, how he came to you and sought you out, and he called you to walk by his side. You didn't first choose him, he chose you. And he has distinguished you above all people in the world. Why should we not seek him with all our heart? And why should we not, my friends, be content with this Savior if he's being preached clearly, cleanly, as in all of his offices and all of his, all of his being, why, would not, why wouldn't be happy going to church if that was indeed the case? Pant and thirst as a deer for his water brooks, for close fellowship. Read Psalm 42. My friends, the church is a hospice for weak and sick souls like Peter. That's why we are here. We're not here to celebrate our goodness. We're not here to teach our children Latin and to have them have white, clean enamel for teeth. It's a place of recovery. And when sickness is, it becomes evident among us, we address the issue with the best medicine we know of Scripture. Our brothers and sisters in the church will certainly sin. Do you want them not to sin? So does God. But the problem is, if we continue in sin, then sinning will become public. And you must decide what to do then. If you see sin in your brother, be kind. And in, uh, in gentleness, restore them. Seek to correct them. Seek to restore them. If you see them sinning boldly and sinning greatly and, hunting, and hurting other people, uh, then you, know, you, need to, you, need to take, uh, you need to take correct action quicker and speak with a firmer tone of voice. But speak the, public, the gospel uh, promise to them and quickly get their mind about what's bugging them. Quickly get their mind off of their stupid theological hobby horse and back on Christ. Christ is the one who integrates all these truths. Christ is our peace. Christ is our righteousness and our wisdom and all our redemption. When we start talking about externals and side issues, which babies can have communion and which can't, for instance, we are losing the very heart of the gospel. 
if we lose, if we, if we skip out of a church for such side measures, keep your eyes on Christ, and all of these things will, will be uh, put in, in the proper framework. When we see other people sinning in the, in, in the church, will we slander them? Will we gossip? Or will we seek to correct them? You're a royal priesthood. You're a prophetic commonwealth. You have every resource. You know the Bible. And sometimes I get the feeling I don't, you don't really need a, a preacher here because you know all this. I'm just telling you what you already know. What am I doing preaching? Why do I preach so hard? You already know it. Well, do what you know. Determine then that they, uh, you don't like them. They have characters. Write them off. Right? Shun them. They're just, they're, they're, they're just too unholy for your company. Right? That's a very heart of the Pharisee. That's, the hardest, that's a Pharisee, a man who has grown over degrees in hardness to the conviction that he's right and nobody else is right and he will measure and nobody will measure him and he will correct and nobody else will correct and he will met out the penal sanctions of that correction and no one else can touch him because he's right. Peter knew at least he was convicted right away of the heinous wickedness that was him. And he felt it. And that's what we need to do when we betray our beloved Jesus by sinning. The conclusion that even a true disciple of Jesus might deny him publicly. You need to believe that first. <laughs> You need to believe that even though a true disciple and a mature disciple, yes, you are, but you may deny him publicly. Be careful. Such denial is great sin. It's brought about by degrees. It doesn't just happen. And it's also a result. The resulting is, is a great sorrow. Great, greatest saints of the flesh. Great Christians. Celebrity Christians. Even mature disciples. They're just flesh. They all have weaknesses. They have many, many imperfections. Do we believe this? Do we, do, do, we, do we believe this? Any believer may stumble and appear to fall away for a time. So be moderate in your opinion of your, of your fellow man. Be moderate in your, uh, in your uh, critique of your Sunday school teachers, your parents. Humble in the opinion of, of yourself. Be humble, realistic. I'm not saying that you, you know, cast yourself down as a worm, but be careful of pride. Pride always, always is the announcer. Pride is the herald of your fall. Pride is the herald of your misery and sorrow. When it comes, check. Learn how to restore a fallen brother. Meekly, Galatians 6, you can do it. You are commanded to do it. You who are spiritual, that's your commandment. That's your homework. Learn the habit of keeping your heart pure. And the motivation is this, when a leader in the church falls, he grieves many, and he causes many to stumble. Many, many go into the root of bitterness. Now, my, friend, my friends, there is mercy. There is mercy to the fallen. Remember Peter here. He's, the story doesn't end here. Remember David and his lamentation. He was caught in a very, very heinous sin, murder of, of, uh, of Uriah. 
and adultery with Bathsheba. But in Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. If we would remember that, then we would revive hope that we would spur ourselves to aggravate sin, to seek the relief, to, to receive the, the full grace of repentance along with the remittance of our, of our sins. Now to help us, we have the, oh, the Lord's table because this is an ordinance speaking of the Lord's great, great love that he loved us with an everlasting love to, to the end. No greater love can be shown to any but that a person gives his whole life for the other. And this is what he's done in the Lord's table, the wine and the bread that are the very seal of his everlasting covenant. And we are safe with the Lord. Only let us be grateful and remember his faithfulness this day by observing and remembering all that he is and his great, great love to sinners saved by grace. Will the elders please come up? We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is a, an ordinance of our Lord. It's a sacrament. That is to say, it's a, uh, it's a holy ordinance. Uh, God has determined this to be a, a, a for the blessing of his people. He wants us to remember his cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that it was not in vain. It was for us in particular that he suffered. This bread symbolizes his body. You know, it was not broken, not one bone of his was broken as the prophecies uh, foretold from the Psalms, but it was broken symbolically because as the, as the sacrifice, he would be cut in two symbolically saying, if I do not keep my promise, if my word to you is not yes, then may I be, Jesus, may I be as these pieces of the sacrifice in the Old Testament are cut into. May I be sawn asunder because of my unfaithfulness. I merit death. May I be broken in two. And Jesus is saying, I am taking the curse of your covenant failings and my body is being broken symbolically here and on the cross it will bleed and my, my blood will drain. I will die. And all this is on you for your sake. I will die that you may live. And his body is real food. And his 
blood is real drink for our souls. Let me read the institution. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned. We may not be condemned along with the world. So the Lord himself fences the table. If you think you're worthy of yourself and your own flesh to come, you, you must not come. That's an abominable pride. You are most not worthy. We are not worthy of ourselves, not even with the graces of the Holy Spirit. Do we merit this table? Do we merit friendship? Because we remain sinners even by the help of God. We sin in thought, word, and deed. We are debtors to Christ every day. For no man since the fall is able to keep the commandments of God perfectly, but to break them daily, thought, word, and deed. So, how are we counted worthy? By admitting that we are worth nothing before him and that our all our surety, all our equity, all our righteousness, everything that God is seeking from us is in Jesus. And then we're safe. If that's your faith, and if you have abominated that sin that wants to do away with you and blaspheme the name of which you were baptized, if, if you think that's an abominable thing, you hate that, you're done with sin, you've resolved to go forward, this table's for you. You haven't perfected your walk with Jesus. He knows that. But he is your perfection. And he receives you warmly and loves you for it. Will the elders please come forward? Now, Lord, sanctify this bread and this wine to your glory in a sacrament. Distinguish it from our regular food. Because the promise is, Lord, that this is real meat, this is real drink, and that you are here to minister the grace of it. We believe it. And so, my friends, we say amen.